Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Happy Friday. Ooh, just before Halloween, it's the Three Martini Lunch. Chad Benson in for Greg Corumbus. Jim Garrity, as always, here. And we've got a lot of stuff. we got your good, we got your bad, we've got your crazy. <laughs> and there's a lot of scary stuff inside of there let's start first with the good well you know fox got a new poll out and a lot of it's looking at virginia because the all the whole country is looking at virginia as kind of a bellwether test to see what biden politics plays like uh comparatively to what it played like when he won by almost what 10 percent or so uh last year so uh what does the poll say my good friend well, first, Chad, the, it's worth noting that heading into the poll results from last night, most of the polls since about mid-October had this either a tie or a Terry McAuliffe lead of like one or two points. There was one that had them up by three. But by and large, everyone was saying, OK, very close race. Well, last night in secession, we actually had two polls come out. The big one that people really paid attention to was the Fox News poll. By the way, Fox News polling is an independent operation that it's news organization. So, no, they don't always favor the Republican or some of that. It was kind of mind blowing. It said Glenn Youngkin at 53 percent and Terry McAuliffe at 45 percent, an eight point split, which would be outside the margin of margin of error in the sample. And just two weeks ago, the Fox News poll had Terry McAuliffe ahead by five, 51 to 46 percent. And the big thing they said was that, you know, it looked like enthusiasm amongst Republicans was way off the charts and Democrats were kind of meh on this. And you might be thinking, okay, that's got to be an outlier, really weird. Well, then the Washington Examiner uh, said they reported the results of an internal poll by um, Winsome Sears, the Republican candidate for lieutenant governor. And if you want to, you know, take internal polls with more of a grain of salt or a poll that's been conducted by a campaign, fine, that's fine. Nonetheless, they found Youngkin at 47 percent and McAuliffe at 43 percent. Now, one of the things that's kind of interesting is it said there's a third party candidate, Princess Blanding. No, I did not make up that name. Um, and she's running on very much a left of center, uh, almost Green Party-ish, uh, you know, perspective. So in, in, in theory, Princess Blanding should be taking away votes from Terry McAuliffe. I got to be honest, I have not heard a great deal about Princess Blanding. And I live in this state. Um, I don't know if she's going to hit 5% support. That seems a little high for a third party candidate, but stranger things have happened. And uh, also another 5% run decided. So two polls come out, both of which have Yunkin ahead, one by a pretty significant amount. Now, for what it's worth, this morning, the Washington Post has kind of come out and thrown a little bit of cold water on this. Once again, they, they did apply a likely voter screen. 49% Terry McAuliffe, 48% Glenn Youngkin, well within the margin of error. Uh, last month, the same poll had McAuliffe at 50, Youngkin at 47. So this feels really, really close. I think it's safe to say that a Youngkin win certainly is possible. I don't know if you want to say it's likely. I think everybody thinks this is going to be a jump ball. It's going to be really close. But if it doesn't, then maybe that Fox News poll wasn't such an outlier. But right now, I think the safe bet is a really, really close one. And in a state where, as you said, Biden won by 10 points, it's not supposed to be all that close. And I think it indicates that the political environment of getting into November 2021 is a really different political environment than the one of November 2020. Absolutely, Jim. And, you know, the other thing is, what was it before uh, when Obama won by a bunch and then there was another race that was being ran and he won by a ton? Sure, sure enough, the the Democrat got boat raced uh, in, in that election. Uh, so this would not be 
out of the realm of possibility, especially in today's climate where, where things are going. And both of these candidates, one didn't really want the former president to pay attention, uh, but he wanted his support to and the other one really didn't want the now president to be there but he wants the people that turned out to support him and it's kind of weird to see both of them keep them at an arm's length yeah I, one of the most one of the more surprising but i think you know uh, a kinsey and gaff uh from uh from from terry mcauliffe it's you know the old saying that uh, this is a, a kinsey and gaff from michael kinsley is when a politician accidentally tells the truth uh, he said that Joe Biden is not popular in Virginia right now. And other polling has kind of indicated, yeah, you know, Biden's approval rating is below 50. You know, he probably would help you in Northern Virginia and heavily Democratic areas. But the rest of the state, no, no, he's not a guaranteed help there. Uh, similarly, I mean, you know, I had a Republican who pointed out to me, you look at every state legislative race in 2017, 2018 and 2019. I guess 2017, 2019. And then you look at the congressional races in 2018. If Trump won the district, the Republican won, won the state legislative race. If Trump lost the district, the Republican lost the, the legislative race in that district. Every single time, every race was effectively nationalized. Every race from, 20, you know, from 2017, 2018, 2019, Virginia Democrats turned it into a referendum on Trump, and they did pretty well with that. I think it's safe to say that we are in a different state. And obviously, Terry McAuliffe has done everything he possibly could to, tie, to try to tie Youngkin to Trump. But we're just in a different state of things right now that you know, people are, are indeed worried about critical race theory. People are indeed worried about the schools are frustrated. What kind of stuff is getting taught there? Inappropriate materials. Um, but also, it's probably also worth noting, like the television ads for Glenn Youngkin are, I'm going to increase the school budget. I'm going to uh, have the biggest tax. I'm going to cut the taxes on groceries because I know gr food prices are really high right now. Glenn Youngkin on TV is a very mainstream conservative Republican. On Twitter, Glenn Youngkin's campaign is a little more MAGA-ish, a little more uh, Trump-friendly. Maybe Trump-curious is a better way of putting it. Uh, but I think it works. <laughs> and I think it's, it, you know, it, it certainly, it's, there's no indication of this. And he might be kind of providing a roadblock, a, ro a road, sorry, a roadmap um, for how Republicans can kind of navigate the post-Trump era in which it is not completely hostile to Trump. It's not Adam Kinzinger who announced he's not running for re-election this year. One part of it is, you know, the MAGA crowd being unhappy with him. Another big part of that is that, you know, he's been redistricted out of his district. Um, but uh, it's one of those things where it's not a, you know, vehemently anti-Trump direction, but it's also not a uh, very vehemently Trump direction. It's kind of this, you know, picking and choosing some elements of Trumpism, but also giving something that, you know, the Mitt Romneys of the world would not find terribly objectionable and they could win back these suburbs. So you add it up, we'll see what happens. I think at this point so far, the range of possibilities looks like a narrow Terry McAuliffe win to a, you know, if that Fox News troop polls right, a, a, you know, pretty darn solid Glenn Youngkin win. And I think, you know, the best case scenario for Democrats still isn't that good. And I think the best case scenario for Republicans would be, just a political earthquake that would completely undo a whole bunch of what Democrats want to do in Washington. I think, and, and maybe I'm wrong here, I think a close win by McAuliffe uh, really has them nervous and gets their attention. Any win by Youngkin and a big win by him has them in an absolute full-blown panic. Mm -hmm. it, they won't be able to sleep at night. I was going to say, they probably need a good night's rest. And, you know, I, like you, know a place where somebody can help you out with that. So if you're a Democrat and you're tossing and turning, or if you're anybody who just wants to get a good night's sleep, there is nothing better 
then slipping into bed with soft, comfortable sheets at the end of a long day. And now MyPillow wants you to sleep better with their Giza Dream Sheets. Their current offers are for a limited time. You can buy one, get one free on any Giza Dream Sheets. Now, these sheets, you got to imagine sliding into the most comfortable sheets you will ever own, guaranteed. They're made from the world's best cotton, which is grown only in a region between the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. The sheet's long staple cotton makes them ultra soft and breathable. The sheets are available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable, and they have a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. So, for a limited time, you can buy one, get one free on all Giza Dream Sheets. Go to MyPillow.com, click the radio listener square, and use the promo code MARTINI at your checkout. Or you can call 1-800-874-0104 to find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress, mattress topper, the MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. Don't miss this sale of the year. That's MyPillow.com, promo code MARTINI. Or call 1-800-874-0104. Sleep better with MyPillow.com. Uh, Chad Benson in for Greg Crumbs. Jim Garrity is always here. It's your three martini lunch. We have had the good. Let's go to the bad and uh, big spending Dems. Another delay. Frustration. But it doesn't mean something won't get done. Yeah, I think you saw the comments from the House Progressive Caucus yesterday. It's delayed. Biden went off to Europe. He's meeting with the Pope. He's going to have his big climate summit and all that stuff. But I think you can now see, yeah, they're more likely to get a deal than not get a deal. Um, And if you're a fiscal conservative, this is pretty darn bad news. You add it all up. It's going to be about one point one trillion in the bipartisan infrastructure bill or BIF. Um, But it also is going to end up with uh, it looks like I think one point seven five. Uh, trillion in the other bill, you add them together, you end up with something close to $3 trillion. Um, This is not anything remotely uh, close to fiscal conservatism. And I think, you know, my colleague, Charlie Cook is pointing out, this is not what Joe Manchin said that he was going to do. This is 3 trillion of new spending on top of the 6 trillion in new debt we have added over the last two years. Yeah, a lot of that was the pandemic, but we're just doing another spending spree on top of this. the two other things, a couple of things, you know, by the way, as of now, the word is, we discussed this yesterday, the state and local tax deduction will be increased. Apparently, it'll be increased for everybody making less than a million a year, um, but it's not in the bill. <laughs> they promise they're going to get it in there. Uh, the other two, two things that kind of just jump out at me besides the enormous spending. The first is that, you know, the argument from Joe Biden is that we have to pass this because it's going to create jobs. We have 10.4 million unfilled jobs right now. And I think if you know, obviously a lot of listeners have shared this kind of experience, like early in the year, you might have seen, you know, help wanted. And then probably as it turned around, around late spring, you saw we're hiring. And now since about early summer, you've seen, please be patient because we are short staffed. So the idea that we need to spend trillions of dollars in order to create jobs, well, actually, that's not, no, no. What we need is to get workers into these jobs. The problem is not, we're in a worker shortage. That's not the, the problem is not that we're not, you know, creating jobs. Uh, Janet Yellen says that adding $3 trillion in federal spending to the economy will reduce inflation. I don't think that makes much sense. The argument is, well, but the government's spending more money, that'll bring down costs for everybody else. But actually, you just throw more money into the economy. It probably makes prices go up higher. Um, in today's Morning Jolt, I wrote about uh, this comment from Matt Brunig, who is a very, you know, progressive analyst here. He argues the bill's child care provisions are going to completely backfire. It's going to get way more expensive because now child care worker wages have to be uh, comparable to elementary school teachers. You're looking at, you know, from about 25 grand a year to being 60 grand a year. 
So the cost of childcare is going to go up very, very quickly, and the subsidies don't kick in for a couple of years. This is going to this could completely blow up in Democrats' faces. Uh, my fear is, yeah, they're going to get something passed. We can, you know, Republicans say good. It's low, less than the six trillion they originally wanted. Uh, Bernie Sanders did not get everything he wanted, but all in all, we're still going to get a massive spending bill. And the other thing is, I don't think this is going to help the economy. I think the irony is, you talk to people what they're worried about. They'd say high gas prices, high food prices, uh, inflation. Uh, you know, probably people would mention the border. Maybe some people would mention infrastructure. I suppose it's possible, but I just feel like this is a massive, giant tax hiking and spending bill. It's not what people are yearning for right now, but Democrats are going to do it anyway. Yeah, and one of the things and you brought up the childcare, the way that they've increased, like. If you earn just a dollar over like that medium, you know, like household income, you could see your cost of child care on top of what is already going to be raised jump by as much as 13000 a year. So you're pricing people out of the market while saying you want to help them. Yeah, I mean, the argument, by the way, you know, from uh, Brunig is not, you know, Democrats should not try to help subsidize people's child care bills, which I don't think is a good idea. I, at least I have, ch- I have questions about that, let's just say. But his argument is that they're doing it like the worst possible way. And the way the bill is written is going to create the exact opposite results that they want, um, which if we didn't have to live under, it would kind of be hilarious. It'd be kind of, you know, funny if Democrats did something and then created the exact opposite results they wanted. Unfortunately, we have to live with the consequences. And I think for a lot of family, like the great irony is for a lot of two earner families, it'll make more sense to become a one earner family. That's how yeah. screwed up this legislation is. Again, they're all it's all in trying to make things better for everybody and while doing it realizing they're jacking the pooch along the way that's uh you hear right there jim garrity i'm chad benson in for greg crumbs he'll be back on monday so we've had your good we've had your bad now let's get to the crazy and it's meta crazy too see what i did there see what i did there it's meta crazy because that's where we're going now with with lex luther as i like to call him because he reminds <laughs> me of that and facebook and zuckerberg I was going to say, having the same actor play Mark Zuckerberg and then play Lex Luthor in the Zack Snyder movies probably didn't do Mark Zuckerberg any favors um, to to create that. So I'm on Facebook. I have my personal page. I have my work page. Chad, are you on Facebook? I am. Chad Benson yeah. show and as well as my personal page, just, you know, my okay. page. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah. there's it's nothing wrong with Facebook the way it was. I know that everyone's no. decided. I wrote earlier in the week about how, you know, people now see Mark Zuckerberg as the root of all evil. And there are things that bug me about Facebook. Uh, most notably, I don't know about you, but I find something on it and then you scroll down and you can't find it again. It just disappears. Uh, but I don't believe that Facebook, you know, determined the 2016 election. I don't, you know, whatever you create something like anybody in the world can post something on here and we're not going to verify them. And, uh, or at least, you know, not most of these accounts and uh, doesn't cost you anything. Then people are going to use your social network to do bad things. That's just kind of this, this baked in the cake. And I think you can argue that these big tech companies, when, you know, applies to these guys, applies to Twitter, applies to YouTube, apply, you know, Instagram, which I know is owned by Facebook. They all had this thing of, you know, okay, world, here is your platform. Do whatever you want. And then start, people start doing bad things on it. It's like, oh, my God. Oh, I didn't know they could do that. Oh, my goodness. Oh, these are these are hateful things. These are uh, these are uh, incendiary things. These, uh, you know, they didn't want to be a media company. They thought they could avoid being a media company. But eventually, once you start saying, well, I don't want that on the page. I don't want that on the site. Well, then you are kind of an editor. You are someone who has taken responsibility for what is appropriate and what is not appropriate. Um, and I think they probably bit off more than they can chew. But I don't run around fuming about Zuckerberg. 
or at least I didn't until this week when he decided he wants to be called Meta. I don't know what Meta is. The reason they call Facebook Facebook is because at Harvard, it was a book of faces. So you could know what people's names were and connect with them and stuff like that. that that's the you know, oh, that's what it does. What is a meta? I don't know. <laughs> What's the meta? You know, the um, the other thing. It's all is, encompassing everything. Uh, you're out on the West Coast. I still call them the San Diego Chargers, and they left in 2016. So it's gonna yes. be a long time before I get used to not calling Facebook Facebook and adopt this meta thing, which I wouldn't be surprised if they like in a year from now they quietly you know drop because nobody's decided to make the name change with them. You know, again, the Lex Luthor thing is, I, I watched that thing yesterday, and I understand what he's trying to do. And But you know what separates him from somebody like Dorsey? Is Dorsey, when I see him, he's got that beard, and he's living on some island outside of Panama, and I feel like he's getting all crunchy and granola. I look over and I see Lex Luthor as a guy who's, you know, kind of like Steve Jobs. He's more ruthless businessman and visionary and more Rockefeller Carnegie than he is some sort of enlightened, you know, Northern California country granola bar guy. But the the name change, it, it, it's you're are you trying to make people think you're still not Facebook? Because we still know yeah. who you are. Yeah. You're the same company. <laughs> it's exactly like yeah, you can change the logo. You can change the name. You're still doing the same thing. I know he wants to do this whole, you know, virtual meeting, networking. We can all get together in avatars. It's gonna be like the movie Ready Player One, and all that's great. You know, in the end, you know, Facebook met a need, and what people needed was a way to stalk their exes, a way to see which classmates got fat. Uh, and without you know, less tongue in cheek, people like the ability to connect with long lost friends or people who moved across the country, right? Um, yeah. And lots of people now do it. Like there are lots of people who aren't necessarily your closest friends, but you like to stay in touch and you get to see either their vacation pictures or pictures of their kids in the Halloween parade or nice, you know, and the, it was a nice way to stay in touch with people who were not physically close to you. At least that's what I thought the, the most useful aspect of Facebook was. But that was not necessarily going to be an easy thing to monetize, although apparently Facebook has managed to do that. But I think there's just kind of this mentality of tech, you know, like nothing a tech company ever does is just good enough. They always have to find some new thing that it can do. So, oh, we're branching into e-commerce and we're branching into video or branching. In Eventually, all tech companies want to be just the tech company. They, they want to be Skynet. They want to be uh, whatever, you know, big tech company you find in these dystopian sci-fi futures that control all these things. And I think it very rarely works out. They forget what they're actually good at. And I'm rather skeptical of this. But the other thing is, it's kind of like when Pfizer said they're going to rename their vaccine, you know, Plabibidol or whatever the heck it was. And I was like, no, yeah. you know, we're just going to keep calling it the Pfizer vaccine. Much easier. Easier. It's got a better yeah. ring to it. Uh, Jim Garrity there. I'm Chad Benson in for Greg Crumbus. He'll be back next week. Uh, follow me at Chad Benson Show and check out the uh, Facebook as well. Jim, where are they going to hold of you? I am at Jim Garrity. Um, uh, and I can be found, uh, on Twitter. I can be found at National Review, contributing to the corner usually a couple times a day. The Morning Jolt newsletter. Just go in the upper left-hand corner and go click on newsletters and subscribe. And, uh, you know, uh, I will, Greg and I will be back on Monday and, you know, people know where to find us. Absolutely. You have a safe and fun Halloween and uh, everybody else as well. And uh, talk to you soon. Thanks for hanging out, Chad. 
it's Mock and Daisy from the Chicks on the Right, and we're excited to tell you about our podcast, the Mock and Daisy Common Sense Cast. If you've been stressed lately with the information overload on social media or just don't feel like anything in the news makes sense anymore, don't worry, because we're here to clear things up. Every week, we discuss topics like cancel culture, national crisis, what's happening to our new generations. And if you're just plain tired of people trying to tell you what to do or how to live your life, we tackle that too. Find out more by going to our website, chicksontheright.com, or start listening on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Don't forget to leave a comment or review and subscribe.